Hi, this is Susie McGrath. I play Tam Rivor in Star Wars Resistance, and you're listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and this is my review of The Mandalorian Chapter 4. Sanctuary. Um, running by myself today, uh, mainly because little Han has not yet watched this episode. Uh, he's all caught up with, um, we've had Thanksgiving in here in America, and uh, getting our Christmas tree decorated, and getting back to school after a few days off, so he's he's been doing his own thing, so uh, we'll have to catch up with him later as far as Mandalorian, um, but I'm going to get right into it because we had another great episode Um you know, kind of a slowdown after the intense uh, three-part arc we started the season with, but um, exciting and thrilling nonetheless. Uh, uh, this episode was written once again by John Favreau and directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. So we have our second woman to direct a live-action Star Wars, and we have our first uh, parent-child uh, team-up. Uh, her father, Ron Howard, of course, directed Solo. So... Uh, I mean, I'll talk a bit about some of her influences here, but, you know, I didn't really notice anything that she copied direct from her dad, but I'm sure she did. Um, so that's cool. We've got a father-daughter lineage in Star Wars directing. Just jumping right into it, um, the cold open uh, takes place on Sorgan, as we found out. Thank you for naming the planet this week. That hasn't always been the case, and it's a little frustrating. Uh, You know, little Han wanted to talk about, um, oh, the what was the planet where he gets his armor? And it's like, I don't know. You know, so, yeah, so we're on Sorgan this week, so it's nice to have a name. Um, And that first shot, really beautiful with, like, the underwater shot before they bring in the the bowl with um, the vibrant colors of the, oh, the underwater life a bit unique for star wars um but i really enjoyed it and then we get you know just with the nice music from ludwig gorenson uh just this nice look at a peaceful idyllic village where they're doing their krill farming and you know enjoying life if you've read online, you know, people are making so many comparisons to, you know, Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven and um, with A-Team, um, you know, parallels and Three Amigos. Um, I've got my own, you know, to offer where I recognize things from elsewhere. Uh, the opening to me was very much like Star Trek Insurrection, which was Star Trek Nine, um, if you remember. And it started off on the... Um, uh, that planet where, uh, spoiler, the people didn't age uh, normally. So, you know, they just settled into this life of hundreds of, hundreds of years of learning artisan work and farming. And just, you know, it's very laid back. It's kind of the same thing. It's just off the beaten path. Um, uh, the kids running around, uh, playing with the, the local life. 
so very similar there. I thought it, was, it reminded me of Star Trek Insurrection a lot. This episode kind of felt Star Trek-y to me, which isn't a bad thing. Um, it's one of the one episodes of Star Wars where I was like, oh, it's like Star Trek. But, but they can go hand in hand. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but then we get the attack by the uh, Clatoonians, uh, where they're just raiding the village. You know, that goes back to Western tropes and uh, uh, samurai films, too. Um, but it also made me think of, and this is where, you know, I'm sure Bryce Dallas Howard brought some expertise, the village, where, you know, it's this peaceful community in the middle of the woods, in a, in a cer- you know, kind of surrounded by the woods in a circle, much like this village was when we see that one aerial shot later. Um, but they're, you know, they always live in fear of, you know, being attacked by the creatures in the woods. Um, so I, I would imagine she said, okay, you know, when, when I worked on the village, we did this to convey that fear and um, all that. So yeah, that, that I sense that from it. Also, uh, reminded me of that one village right in uh, the two towers um, when the orcs and the Urukai, uh attacked the village and they're the ones who fled to Helm's Deep. So yeah, just in this opening where we you know, we see what the village life is like. Um, you know, you get a lot of homages to other other works. Now, you know, they saved the ATST full reveal for later, but you know, it was there because it was the one making the Riker in the woods and firing on the village. So I thought, I thought that was a nice effect to keep, have it remain behind the wood line, uh, but still uh, terrorizing the village. Um, oh, the as we you know, this is our first chance to meet um, Omera, played by Julia Jones, who I saw in Twilight. I saw all those movies, so yes, I recognize her. Um, and then um, her uh, daughter Winter, which I wonder if that's a backhanded homage to Winter from the EU, from the Legends. I don't know, um, but you know they did that neat thing where they. Uh, hide under the basket, under uh, in the water line. Um, so, and then the, you know that really cool shot of the Clatoonians disappearing back into the, the smoke that had been created by their attack. You know, it was a clear, clear day before all that. Um, you know, at first you think, oh, it's um, you know fog coming off the water. Now it's the smoke from what they would had done. So, a really effective opening. Uh, before we even get to the title card, and uh, we we did confirm that they're not going to do the Seinfeld thing where every episode is the something, you know. Yet we have the child and the sin. Now we've got Sanctuary, so they're gonna you know they'll play around with the titles. Did you ever notice that every Seinfeld episode, it was you know the soup Nazi, the parking garage. It was the something. Kind like how in Friends it was the one with. Look it up. So now we get the Mandalorian and uh, Tiny. This is not Yoda. Uh, T-I-N-Y. Copyright Lacey Gillerin uh, from <laughs> Resistance Broadcast. I'm going to keep calling that till he gets a name because I think it's appropriate. Um, you know, it seems like they have a moment of peace after um, escaping from uh, the other planet that wasn't named. Um, and, and so... 
Okay, I'm, I'm recording this a few days after the episode aired, and it is amazing how it has already become a meme uh, where Tiny's you know, pressing the buttons in the cockpit and people have dubbed in music. <laughs> um, I think my favorites, uh, Africa was great. Pedro Pascal tweeted about that one. Uh, Bring Me to Life by Evanescence is a personal favorite. Um, they, even, they even did the University of Tennessee's uh, fight song, Rocky Top. And our, our football Twitter account tweeted it out. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, so what, what can you say? Any parent knows about the scene um, where you keep telling your kid not to touch anything and then they, they're looking at you. Oh, he's not looking. I'm going to go press the button. And, you know, I, I'll tell you, when, when we first heard about the series, I didn't expect that it would make it, you know, relate to me most as a parent than anything else. But here we are with him having to keep the kid under control. And yes, I've done that thing where I was like, tell, him, tell the kids not to touch something. And they keep doing it, so I just, you know, put them on my lap so they can't reach it. Uh, so, anyway. yeah, totally relatable. Um, so, you know, he's searching for a place to lay low for a couple of months. Uh, it's, it's almost like the scene in um, Empire Strikes Back where they figure out to go to Bespin for help. So we get the um, Sorgan, we find out his name of the planet. Um, and, we, and we get more of, you know, kids not listening as he <laughs> sits, sits him down in the chair and says, I'm going to go look around. You stay here, stay. And, I mean, that's just a tremendous shot as soon as the, the ramp lowers that he's standing there with him. Um, yeah, just well done on that. And, and, you know, Bryce Howard and Dallas Howard, and she's a mom, so she knows. And she, she probably put in some personal experience there. So, you know, he goes to the village uh, to see what's going on, uh, look for lodging. I, I really dig the architecture uh, for the village and for the, um, the farm later on. Um, you know, I... You know, when we saw this in the trailer and the shot where he flew overhead, I thought, oh, you know, it looks a lot like Takodana. But they've made Sorgan unique enough. Um, I would, I don't know where they, I would guess they filmed it somewhere in California because they did a lot of the location shots in L.A. Um, or wherever they did. I mean, it looks different enough as a wooded planet. And then, but you know, the architecture is really cool. Um, a little more Native American look, which is appropriate because Julia Jones is Native American. Hashtag SW rep matters. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a neat, unique look uh, for the planet um, in this galaxy. So then we, um, we you know, we get our first live action film look at a, at a Tuka, at a Lothcat, uh, which of course are from Star Wars Rebels on Lothal. Um, I mean, it was awesome. And the scene with him and Yoda, or yeah, with Tiny was really cute. Uh, to me, it was a little diminished because we've already seen one at Galaxy's Edge, albeit a sleeping one. So, uh, but really cool. And obviously, Dave Filoni had an influence there. And I should have, should have written it down to give credit, but you know, somebody wrote on Twitter, you know, this proves that there's nothing from animation that can't be transferred over to live action. I mean, it looked good. Um, you know, hopefully, we get more stuff like that. Um, on a personal note, uh, my favorite 
animated to live action transfer so far has been uh, the Pike. Um, when we saw a, a Pike Syndicate member in Solo, because I thought they were a really cool um, design for an alien costume in uh, the Clone Wars. And in fact, we got him in Solo. It was pretty awesome. So yes, we get Tuca, and it was so great to see Jonah Marie Macias' uh, reaction to it on her uh, videos. And so, you know, he sits down to order him some food. And, and I dig that they're coming up with, I'm guessing John Favreau wrote it, um, but, you know, they're coming up with these new names for foods. They're not just recycling, like, oh, I'll have a bantha milk for him, you know, or blue milk or whatever. You know, it's bone broth, which is kind of a new thing. And uh, spotchka, which is the, the drink that they, as it turns out, they brew from the krill that are harvested at the farm. So... You know, it's like one of those, you know, local brewery things, you know, helps keep, you know, support your local business kind of a thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's neat. They've got their own uh, names for the stuff here. And, of course, this is finally, after four episodes, when we get introduced to Cara Dune, played by Gina Carano, um, who, as it turns out, you know, um, John Favreau had her in mind when he wrote the part they've said this week. And I've been a fan of hers for a while. I really enjoyed her in Fast and the Furious movies, whichever one it was. Um, and before they, you know, established what they were going for with the Amazons and casting Gal Gadot, I was totally on board with Gina Carano playing Wonder Woman. I thought she would do a great job because she would have the physicality and um, she has, you know, that great mix of badass, but also very feminine and demure. I think she played that well here. Um, and I've heard in several interviews, you know, she talked about Bryce Dallas Howard helped her pay, um, finalize her costume because at first uh, she said it was kind of a very blocky football uniform looking thing going on and that they tried to make it more feminine and um, feminine um, but, you know, to still make her look um, look badass. And I think they really pulled it off. So it's, it's great to see her on the show. Um, she, she's a great, just a, just a great character. It's not even that she's female. So anyway, great to have Gina on the show now and can't wait to have her back. Um, I'll get into it a little bit more later, but, you know, <sighs> Based on footage we've seen, I mean, she's going to be in further episodes, and she, Gina's posted on Instagram that she's filming season two, so she'll be back. It's not just a one-off thing. Um, so uh, I, I really liked the, uh, the the feature in his helmet, and uh, the Mandalorian's helmet, where he can kind of go to that infrared thing where he looks for footprints, kind of a heat signature thing. So yeah, that oh, hopefully it's that's not just a one-off thing either because he used it a couple of times this episode. It'd be something good to use later. <laughs> It'd be funny if he had to use it because Tiny wanders off like kids tend to do, and he has to like look for little pitter patter feet. Um, I, before I forget to mention it, I will say, um, I, you know, they did such a great job because you know the puppet or whenever they use CG, and you can really tell 
uh, when they did the puppet for Tiny this episode, you can tell they're getting more comfortable with using him because you know he's out of the um, out of the crib, so to say, um, just walking around when he, when he was in, interacting with the kids. You know, the, the puppetry on the show is really outstanding. By the way, kudos to those kids because you think about it, they had to keep it a secret for like a year that um, they were on the show and that they played with the baby Yoda. And we, maybe, maybe a few did, but we had no idea. So they're good secret keepers. Um, so anyway, we get the awesome fight between the Mandalorian and Kara. Um, you know, we saw, uh, they showed a bit of that at celebration. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's why you get somebody with an MMA background because she may, you know, does very convincing fight scenes and holds, holds her own against him, punching him straight in the helmet, which is funny. Um, then they do that twisty thing on the ground and they're, um, you know, they have their guns pointed at each other and they hear the slurping and here's our second meme that has gone viral and, uh, where he's, he's just watching the fight, sipping his soup. Man. <laughs> Love that, love that kid so far. So I'm glad they took a moment to sit down at the table and for Kara to talk about her background a little bit, talking about the cleanup after Endor when, you know, the, you know, it alludes to that year between the Battle of Endor and the Battle of Jakku when they're finalizing their defeat of the Empire and, um, you know, taking care of, as uh, you mentioned, warlords, how they came, came down on drop ships uh, into uh, hostile areas like that. So you get an idea of what post-indoor you know, rebel New Republic life was like. Um, sorry, I really like that. Um, hopefully we'll you know, find out more about her background. Um, so, you know, Mandalorian says, well, the planet's taken. We'll have to go somewhere else. He's working on a ship. And we get the, the villagers who come to come for help. <laughs> yeah, I really liked their, their lines. Um, this is where, you know, the kind of the three amigos thing came in, you know, when they were, you know, looking for help to fight the infamous Oguapo. Um, you know, and then they explained it well that, you know, he's taking an easy job. Um, because, you know, he realizes that it's an isolated farm. That, so he, maybe there is a good place to lay low on this planet. And, um, you know, he gets Kara's help. I, I love that shot where he just throws the credits down. And, you know, she's resting against the tree, but she's still got her gun ready to shoot him. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she just played it so well in this episode uh, with her mannerisms. So you know, once you get to the uh, to the farm, you know, mention a little bit, you know, tiny playing with the children, and you know, obviously feeling comfortable. Maybe for the first time in his life, you know, we got a lot. I mean, he's fifty years old. Um, but yeah, Julia Jones as Omera. She's, <clears throat> you know, she's a she's a good actress and. Um, Omer is a very interesting character, especially later when, you know, you know the Western trope of you know the oh the widow knows how to use a gun, um, but I mean she's 
you know, is she ex-military too? Or, you know, was she a bounty hunter and wanted to settle down to a quiet life? Um, yeah, I'm very curious. I hope we get more of her. And um, in some ways, uh, going back to the Star Trek Insurrection comparison, she did remind me of um, Anish, who um, was kind of Picard's love interest in that film, where, and I don't think they're going to explore it on the Picard series, by the way, but I always thought that's what he would do. He would retire from Starfleet and then go back to that planet and settle down with her and just live an extended life. Um, makes you wonder if that's the end game of this series that... Uh, I was going to speculate since it's halfway through the season, but I'll go ahead and do that. Um, I really think Tiny becomes a foundling and joins the Mandalorians because I want to see the the, the armor. Um, and I, I've always said this: if you've ever seen Enemy Mine, like the last scene of that movie, I kind of get that feeling. That's the last shot of the series that, or maybe the last episode where. You know, Mandalorian presents Tiny to be to be inducted to get his own helmet, that sort of thing, and where he becomes one of them and finds a home for the first time. Um, but then after that, I could see them, you know, like, well, he knows that Tiny's safe with his people now, so he goes back to Sorgan or somewhere else and settles down with Amara. I could, I could totally see that happening. But yeah, I want to find out more about her. So then and they have the conversation where he, this relates to the, that flashback from last episode, you know, he confirms what we've suspected that yes, his parents were killed and then the Mandalorians took him in and that he's worn the armor, hasn't taken his helmet off since he was preteen. Um, so, you know, last week, little Han and I had the conversation about, well, you know, so if his parents were killed and that was him in the flashbacks, and he's about to be blasted by a super battle droid. Who saved him? Who rescued him and took him to the Mandalorians? Um, was he, re you know, here, here's a chance, you know, is it going to be a cameo by Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan or, um, you know, could you have Ursa Wren or Finn Rao or somebody find him and then take him to the Mandalorians? Or the popular theory now is that he's rescued by a Jedi because it's a Clone Wars battle. And, they think that because they were neutral during the war, that Mandalore would be a good place to take him once he's um, discovered in that box. So, you know, I asked Lil Han, who, who would you like to see rescue him? So he came up with four options um, because you need to think about somebody that would be fun and recognizable who would have a connection to the Mandalorians. So, you know, you would have Yoda who... You know, that's why he would have that attachment to that species because he was rescued by someone of that species. You have Obi-Wan who of course has connections to Satine and could get him onto the planet. And then um, by proxy, Anakin or Ahsoka because you know they, um, they were also on, did episodes on Mandalore. So you know, put up a survey, gave those four options like if he's found by a Jedi and taken to the Mandalorians who, which Jedi gets to make a cameo. And um, thank you for everyone who voted. Uh, with 40% of the vote, Obi-Wan was the winner. And that was my thought on it, my theory, because this 
you know, gives, it, it explains why they went ahead and confirmed the Obi-Wan series because they had to, because you're, you know, for all this denying he's, Ewan's uh, had to do and the lying he's had to do for about three years. Um, you know, they would have, been, as soon as we see that cameo in whatever episode, they would have been like, oh, oh, he is in, back in Star Wars, even for one shot. So I think, and, you know, he, every time he grows a beard, you know, they're like, oh, oh, he's back to play Obi-Wan, even though they haven't announced it yet. So I, I think, well, you know, the majority, not the majority, but, you know, the most voters thought, and I think, when we get that the full flashback, you know, the super battle droid will be blasted away and then it will be opened up. Um, and it's going to be Ewan as Clone Wars era Obi-Wan who pulls him out and takes him to Mandalore. And kind of a, you know, set up, you know, welcome Ewan back. Let's get ready for, um, let's get ready for the Obi-Wan series. So we'll see. You know, and they do get more into the, the helmet thing, which, you know, there's been a conversation. Well, you know, they took their helmets off on Rebels, on Clone Wars. Well, if if the Great Purge really decimated the Mandalorians to where they're more of a culture than a race, uh, they might in, endure more to the uniform and be like, oh, it doesn't matter who you are underneath the helmet. It, the helmet is what makes us a Mandalore, um, Mandalorians. So... You know, we'll see if that's where they, I, I think that's where they're going with that. You know, we do get the the really cool shot where he does take his helmet off and he still eats in clear view of the window, but maybe it's dark in there. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it's a really nice shot if the helmet like on the counter while he's eating and then Tiny's out there playing. Um, I think it shows his comfortability with where they are. <clears throat> um so, you know, once they realize there's an ATST, um, of course, Kara, if she fought it indoor, would have experience with that, um, or just any other Imperial battles. Um, you know, you get, you know, we've seen it before. Here's another Three Amigos thing where, um, you know, the villagers come together to fight and, um, you know, they, they have to be trained. Um, and then, you know, where they do the, you know, like the, you hear Mandalorian and Kara talking about the plan while they're showing the prep for it. That to me was a very, like, Ocean's Eleven, uh, Gone to 60 Seconds type thing, where they talk about the plan um, while they show what they're doing to get ready for it. So, you know, I, I really, really like that. Um I'm kind of running through this at the end because the action's just, it really picks up and it's so intense. Um, you know, I like how Kara and the Mandalorian are working together, sneaking up on the bandits, trying to draw them out so they can um, execute the plan at the, villa, at the farm. Um, yeah, the fight inside the, the Spotchka Brewing <laughs> facility is neat. Um, you know, more, more awesome fighting on the show. No, I, I liked the um, the sound of the detonator um, for that one explosive where it was, you could see it counting down with the you know, the lights on the on it, but the way it was, um, the tone it made as it was counting down was pretty cool too. But I love, once they're out of there and they 
cause the explosion. And then the shot of the ATST basically like waking up with uh, the red lights inside, which, you know, it's powering up. Um, and then also when it's coming out of the woods, uh, you know, I imagine that the Klaatuinians who, you, know, you got to think after the defeat of the empire, they just acquired all this tech whenever they could and kind of kit bashed it to suit their needs. So, you know, it's kind of neat. They put in the red lights to make it more menacing. Like it's a creature, you know, like a big dragon or something coming for everybody. Um, and I think it was on the resistance bro uh, broadcast though. They were talking about, uh, almost seemed like it was more sentient now. Like it wasn't, you know, we never actually got a POV of the drivers. Um, even though the, the Lego set, you know, has has drivers, which, by the way, we bought that Lego set two weeks, two months ago, and then you know they released it as a vintage collection uh, exclusive at Best Buy, and then you've got the Hot Wheels version. You, you had to think like the ATST scene was going to be pretty big for them to put that much marketing into it, and it was. Um, so yeah, it makes sense that they would make it more menacing and look like a creature and have it act more living, I guess you could say. Yeah, really, really cool idea to have the battle take place at night. Um, you know, so you can have the, um, the lights of the machine and all the weapons fire and all that. Um, this is where I think another influence came from Bryce Dallas Howard. You know, she's been in Jurassic World. And she's used to being chased by dinosaurs in that movie. You know, like the scene where they're trying to outrun the ATST to get back to the farm. You could see some of her influences there, I think. I, I like that, the idea that she brought the movies that she's acted in into this as a director. Um, so anyway, yeah, the, the plan to topple the ATST and then take it out was pretty good. Um, yeah, you know, just, I just enjoyed the action all around and the way that everybody worked together. Um, <clears throat> oh, and so once they're, you know, they're kind of settling down, I do like that they did a redo of the frog scene where tiny grabs the frog and is going to eat it, but all the kids are like, Ooh, don't. And so he spits it out. And it's funny that, I mean, it's true in real life. Like peer pressure was stronger to him than being told by an authority figure. <laughs> You know, he went ahead and ate it when he was told to spit it out by the by Mando. But when the kids are like, "Oh, don't do that," you know, he's like, "Oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta look good for them." Um, so you know, the the last bit of the episode is, um, you know, all right, you know, I really, you know, should leave him here, let him have a peaceful life. This before he finds out he's being hunted, in which case, you know, he's got to. Get him away for now. It was, it was kind of heartbreaking because see, see him having all the fun and just kind of relaxing, sitting on a log, talking or cooing, whatever he does. The, the, the closed captioning says cooing a lot. So, um, so when we get to the bounty hunter that's got him in a scope, I know it's a Disney show, but I really thought they might go there and have him killed. I know that's, that's dark. And, you know, they kind of 
teased it in the first episode too, but I mean, this was more dire. And I thought, okay, you know, as that scene's developing, I'm like, is this where the rest of the season's going to go? That he's going to be out for vengeance? Um, but no, uh, you know, we get the. Thankfully, Kara taking him out from behind. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure everybody freaked out because we we love love the child so much now. But I thought they I thought, thought they might go there. Um, but no, he's he has to leave the the good life behind, and you can see how you know sad or disgruntled he was on the wagon on the way out. Um. So yeah, they're on the run. They gotta go to the next next town, the next planet. Um. So yeah, that's that's it. Um. And like I say, really good episode. You know, introduced so many great new characters. Well, Elmira and Kara for sure. Uh, that hope we get to see again sooner rather than later. Um. Yeah, I'm not totally sure where the season's going to go. Obviously, he's going to be hunted and, you know, have to confront people to keep Tiny safe and find him. A, I, th- I think, you know, like I said, my guess is that he will wind up with the Mandalorians where he would be most safe and become one of them and give the Mandalorian himself a chance to settle down. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, but we'll be right back at it in a few days with another episode. We we're at the halfway point. We're almost to the end of the season. It's crazy, but we got a season two, so it's it's all good. But I will be back in a couple of days with a new Star Wars Resistance review of a, a fun episode from this past week. Um, but uh, you can find me on social media at Radio Dakar on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find all the Radio Dakar episodes and reviews on Anchor.fm, the Anchor app, uh, also on SoundCloud, Overcast, Spotify. Uh, Google Play, Apple. Uh, you can beca- become a patron of the show and ha- um, help support us at patreon.com slash radio Uh But until next time, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. <laughs>